We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC. Choose UPMC for your family's health care needs close to home. Visit UPMC.com slash Central PA for a complete list of services and locations. In the year that ended April 1st, almost half of all honeybee colonies in the U.S. didn't survive. That was the second highest death rate on record. Honeybees are crucial to the food supply, pollinating more than 100 crops we eat, including nuts, vegetables, berries, citrus, and melons. Scientists said a combination of parasites, pesticides, starvation, and climate change keep causing large die-offs. Beekeepers have taken on the role of trying to stabilize the honeybee population. Have they, and can they be successful? In what ways? With us today on The Spark is Gary Carnes, president of the Capital Area Beekeepers Association and an eighth-generation beekeeper. Gary Carnes, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Scott. Eighth-generation. you got to tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, my mother's family were farmers. They were large orchard and dairymen. And I can go back to Dwight Eisenhower's great-grandfather and my family with honeybees. When it's not really known, but when Dwight's grandfather and father left Elizabethville, Pennsylvania, left over 125 co- colonies of honeybees behind. And my mother's family can continue that because they were all of the... You know the farming, vegetables, and dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I mean, when you say eight generations, if we look at that in years, what what are we looking at years was? Oh, we're talking about the uh, early eighteen hundreds. Wow. Uh, her family came over in the seventeen tens. That area, I got the ship and everything. I can, I I got a pedigree behind me. I can tell you each generation of my family. So, because they were farmers, is that how they got into keeping bees? Yeah, and they realized how important it was for their for their profit and their livelihood. You know, they had a lot of cherries, they had a lot of apples, and uh, they had the bees on the farm. And it was a nice source of income, but it was very essential in their livelihood. Well, we're going to talk about that word essential in just a few minutes. When we hear that 48% of bee colonies were lost last year... That sounds dire. Is it? How would you describe the status of honeybees? And I'll, you know, talk broadly in this country. Well, the commercial guy. I'm I'm a small commercial operator. I run 300 colonies. Um, my father passed away nine years ago, and before that, we were construction, and we had 200 hives as a hobby. He got bees when he was in FFA, but my mother's family had them before that, and. Um, so when he passed away, I had a choice. Do I want to continue putting shingles on a roof, and uh, or do I want to play with honeybees? Because when I'm playing with a honeybee hive, I forget about the world. I'm just concentrating on that small organism and how they get along and how I can make them thrive. Uh, he learned from his FFA teacher. It took as much time to feed a mule as it did a racehorse. So he wanted to do his absolute best, whether it was construction or beekeeping. So my philosophy on beekeeping, I want my hives to be very gentle and very productive. And uh, due to all the problems we have, I have 
changed my business operation compared to what my father and I used to have. And uh, you talk about the losses in the 70s. If we went into the high end of the winter here in central PA with 100 colonies, we'll just use for example, and we came, and we lost five colonies, the guys in the club would tell, oh, man, you had a bad year. Now, like you said, if you lose 50%, most people pat you on the back, you did pretty well. And if, if a dairyman or, you know, the beef producer would lose 50% of his livestock every year, they would be up in arms. So we don't have quite the government help that we should have, you know, because they brought these major pests in in the 90s that are killing our bees. And we have to continuously try to kill a bug on a bug that is infecting our uh, honeybees, and it's difficult. When you say they brought in this pest, what pest are you talking about? Who brought them in? Why? Well, we had a boycott on importing honeybees until, um, I think it was like the early 80s or the late 70s. He couldn't bring in any more bees in this country. And then the almond producers needed a much larger amount of bees, so they lifted it. So then they started bringing bees in from all over the world, and they brought these uh, two small mites in to begin with. And the first one was a tracheal mite. I remember one winter, my father and I had 100 colonies, and we went into winter, and we came out with three. We had to... The biggest thing is, yes, the loss of bees. We can replace them, but it's the equipment you lose, the wax and stuff like that. So we had a fight with them for a few years, and we got a genetic superior uh, line of bees that were more immune to the the tracheal mites. And then we got the varroa mite, and that thing is just devastating. Now, I'm working hard with genetics on trying to breed from hives that are more hygienically We'll call them clean. They, they pick these little pests up, and they kill them, and they throw them out the door. They don't accept them. Other other breeds are not um, – they, they just overwhelm a colony. And we've used in the last 25 years or so, we've used many, many different ways of trying to uh, combat these. Synthetic chemicals, which I use them. I haven't used any synthetic chemicals since probably 2000 because that leaves traces in my wax, and I don't want that. So I only use organic, organic chemicals now. I use formic acid, and I use uh, oxalic acid. And oxalic is in carrots. It's in root, It's actually made from rhubarb. So it's a natural thing. And it seems that pests, these varroa mites, are more susceptible to the natural chemicals, and they don't build up any resistance. But what hurts us in the bee business, everyone sees the bees are dying, so I want to help. So they want to get some bees. Do they want to take care of their livestock? Do they want to treat their livestock? No, they just want to raise mites to contaminate me. Because when you start getting weak, there's no honey coming in. My bees are going to come rob your bees out, and they're going to bring all your little mites back to me. And the mites are bad, but the 26 viruses that they have and produce is what really is devastating to our colonies. Mm -hmm. So my major thing now is, uh, besides rebuilding, I'm treating for mites all the time. And... uh, you know, it used to be we could put my father and I, we could put bees out in the spring, put some supers on, come back in the fall, take off their honey. Now I'm looking at them every month. And I keep a journal, every hive, everything I do to it. I can show you for the last 20 years some of the hives every time I open them up. And uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, I've actually now moved to migrating my bees. I take them in late summer to New York where they can get a fall honey flow. And then I take them in. January, February to South Carolina so they can get an early honey flow. 
because honeybees don't produce a lot of offspring unless there's food coming in. So by moving them to South Carolina here in January and February, I'm starting spring. So I can bring them back here in April and May to one of my good friends over here at Strites Orchard. I've been pollinating over there for some 30 years. I can bring them back hives at full strength so I can get a lot of honey. The average person gets around 30 pounds of honey or so. I produce an average of 120 or more per colony. So when are your bees still in South Carolina right now? I just took 70 down last weekend. Okay. And you'll bring them back in April? April and May, yes. What happens during winter? Maybe I should ask this question two ways. Before all this started, before you had to take your colonies other places to kind of acclimate them to warmer weather, uh, what would happen during the winter? Well, here in Central PA, and, and I also I move them up to New York where they get buried in the snow. They will consume honey. They don't hibernate. They're awake 24-7, and they're consuming honey, but at a very small rate. Like, I have electronic scales on their beehives, and they will eat about a half a pound of honey a day. But when they start producing offspring, they'll eat three to four pounds of honey a day. So you have to leave on in central PA, or if you're down south or a little further north, at least 60, 80 pounds of honey for them to consume during the winter time, or they will starve to death. Mm. So other than the, the parasite, the mite, uh, I mentioned uh, pesticides, climate change. What about pesticides and climate change? I, I don't deny that pesticides are a problem. But I am on some, I, I rent some bees to a gentleman in South Carolina, huge watermelon, cantaloupe, zucchini producer, and they use all kinds of stuff, and my bees thrive there. It's determining when to spray and when not to spray. I personally feel, versus the word climate change, the crop change. When I was a kid, we had so much more fields that were produced for hay and stuff here in central PA. Now all we got is corn and soybeans, and they're just green deserts. Uh, it used to be when I was a kid, my father and I would build a house. We'd plant the the, the yard with 25% clover. Well, Scott's Turf Builder, they determined that their stuff kills clover, so they called it a weed. Dandelion and clover are wonderful things for bees. They really help them. And by us eliminating them and just having a green desert doesn't help the honeybee at all. And Gary, I understand you were beekeeper of the year? Yeah, I too, actually at the time, you know, I thought... Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, this is really neat, I deserve it, whatever. But really, once I was crowned beekeeper of the year, there's a lot of pride and you feel responsibility and stuff like that. I was I was given that honor because of my outreach I do to the community, uh, my helping start people, my uh, being basically a, it's my livelihood. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of seminars at schools. I uh, do a lot at the farm show and just like this little presentation today, I'm trying to promote beekeeping so people uh, learn about bees. It was funny. When I was a little kid in school, I used to get ridiculed because my dad was a nut down the end of the street and had all these bees around the house. Now people think, oh, man, you're really cool. You got honeybees. <laughs> and then they said, how many times you get stung? And I said, today? Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me. Yeah. There's not a part of your body where you haven't been stung? Nope. I've been stung under the. I tell you what really hurts. It's under the fingernails. Oh. Uh, I don't wear. I don't like to wear gloves, unless a hive is really upset. I, and maybe if they give me six or eight stings, I'll go get my gloves on. But if it's uh, you know just two or three, no big deal. 
But I can work 30 or 40 hives and maybe only get a half a dozen stings or so. Oh, okay. It's not a bad day. <laughs> bad days when it's over 50. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just driving a lot of people crazy but right now. One thing I, I like to point out, when you do get stung by a honeybee, they leave their stinger in you. And if you pull it out, you inject all the venom in you. As a poison sac, what pumps away. So you take your finger down, quick scrape it out, and you don't get the venom in okay. you. Okay. There, there, it, there is a real. We learned something. Emma, did you hear that? You learned that today, okay? All right. So let's get to one of the basic questions. Why are honeybees so important? Oh, uh, they well, eighty percent of the crop that is pollinated, honeybees do that. I mean, we would lose. Yeah, you can get away with some apples or some strawberries without the the honeybee, but the product of the the vegetable or the fruit is going to be much smaller. I was taught. I used to uh, do a gentleman who did cucumbers. Now, right or wrong with this answer, he used to tell me he needs his flower pollinated 13 times to have a straight cucumber, or else it'll be bent and things like that. I, I know in the apple business, they uh, you can get some wind, you can get a little bit from from uh, yellow jackets and the different domestic bees. But the honeybee has such large numbers, they do such a thorough job at pollinating, they're very beneficial for it. I mean, I, I think the human race would uh, survive without honeybees, but I don't want to eat bread every day. Mm. Uh, Thirty-five. I read somewhere that 35% of what we eat in this country is pollinated by honeybees. I thought it was higher than that, but I'll let you go with 35%. Well, that comes but, from a beekeeping uh, website. Yeah. <laughs> Don't believe everything you see on the Internet. <laughs> I should have learned that a long time yeah. ago. Uh, but, you know, are we in, in any danger? I mean, this really took people by surprise. Like, say, you know, I mentioned that uh, it was uh, the second biggest die-off Last year, 2007, was really took a lot of people by surprise. I mean, there were people who were making some dire predictions that uh, honeybees someday would go extinct. I mean, we haven't gotten to that point yet, have we? No. Actually, we probably have more honeybees in, the, in Pennsylvania today than we had 20 years ago. But we have so many more small-time beekeepers. And uh, we have a graph with our state. My size beekeeper is less than 1% of the beekeepers in PA. Uh, most of our beekeepers are, are uh, 6 to 25 colonies, a backyard beekeeper. They lose a tremendous fold. Now, this year, I, I wasn't as up to treating as I should have been because I had a daughter graduated from college. His son was in all these sports effects. So I had to play dad and a few things like that. And I, I think I'm approaching the 25 to 30% loss. Which, in some aspects, some people think that's good. But, you know, one beehive loss is one too many for me. But I will rebound from that very quickly because I raise my own queens. I can split a colony. And uh, I'll still produce 14 or 15 ton of honey this coming year. You were talking about queens just a moment ago. And when I was looking on your website, okay, now I'm going to try to believe this now, that I saw that there were certain bees that were for sale for other uh, beekeepers and yes. queens in particular. Is the queen the most important bee? Well, without her, you have no colony. A uh, honeybee cannot live with just the queen. She needs a, a task force with her, and she can't really thrive until she has around 10,000 bees in her colony. Um, but so many people there 
what I don't like is I think a lot of reason we have problems with die-off and stuff like that. Everyone's getting a bee business. So some guy sitting down in Florida or Georgia or Texas, he's just producing queens. He don't care how they produce. They're alive when they leave. They can lay eggs. He's happy. I, myself, and my son, he started helping. He just turned 16, and he started helping when he was three. So I don't want my little kid getting his socks stapled to his legs. I want a gentle bee. I want to be it produces a lot of honey. I want to be resistant to mites. That's why I keep records. And what I tell people who want to buy bees from me is my name's on those bees. You know, I am not buying them from somebody else. I'm not a middleman. And if you don't buy them from me, they're my. I'm going to be using them. I'm not going to produce junk. So uh, that's my, my theory on everything I do, whether it was building a house or what. If it's not good enough for me, it's not good enough for you. And I think if more people felt they want to produce a superior creature, we wouldn't have quite the die-off we do have. I mean, people ask me what breed they are. I throw the breed scenario out the window when I'm trying to qualify whether you can be a, a breeder or not. And I have some superior hives this year that weren't treated last year that I think have great signs of resistance, resilience, we'll call it, against the mite. And uh, having a, maybe a slightly higher die-off this year than normal may be the best thing that ever happened to my business because I've got rid of the duds that I've been propping up all the time. And I'm guilty. I want to replace queens every year, and I've been a little lax at doing that. I'm just letting you roll with what you got. I have a buddy who started uh, five or six years ago, and uh, he's getting. I'm breeding my queens out of my best for him, and he's lost five out of uh, seventy-five, which is tremendous. And the bees look great. That's because I'm giving him my best every year instead of cycling it through my system. Well, this year I'm cycling it through my system, and. Uh, you know, the beekeeper is a farmer, so next year is always going to be better. Uh, what's being a, bee, a, a queen, I should say? What does a queen cost? Uh, they're easily going anywhere from 30 to $40 right now mm-hmm. for one bee. And how do you know a superior queen as opposed to one that maybe has, uh, you know, that the mite has uh, infiltrated? Well, you check how the hive has. You can do what they call mite wash. You put 30 there are 300 bees in a little uh, can of either alcohol or soapy water, and you can swirl them around, and mites drop off. If the colony has a high rate of that, that means that colony is not very uh, resistant against the mites. If they have a, a zero one count, they are resistant. But then I can breed out of her, but the problem is they mate in the air with... I can't control who they mate with, but I am getting into artificial insemination now as well. But um, they'll mate with anywhere from a dozen to 80 different fellas and that's the only time they mate they don't they don't remate or they you know so if it's a cold damp day she's going to have a poor mating flight and then she's not going to have the semen that she stores in her body and she'll run out she'll become a poor queen they'll kill her so 70 to 80 the universe uh, there's an outfit in hawaii who uh dissected a bunch of queens and they found queens that mated with 80 82 and 83 different males. We used to say a dozen to 20, but we have seen that that's not true. It's, it's far more than that. Do they need to? Can one, can they mate with one? Well, no. Uh, the reason with the multiple, the queen has the ability to determine if she's laying a fertilized or unfertilized egg just by mixing the semen with the egg as she drops it into the cell. So a male honeybee has no father, just a grandfather and a mother. So if she only mates with one, 
that could be physically possible, but everyone would be identical. I mean, if you mix with different different males, this one may be a little more protective, a little more aggressive. This one may be a better honey producer. So when you get all that uh, all added together, it makes a strong colony. There, you know, you could get one that is not very resistant to certain diseases, and the colony get wiped out just like that. But by the multiple matings, she has a multiple offspring who are resilient and, and uh, for different things. Now, d- does the queen discern the strengths of her mate, or is it no. just haphazard? They fly up. The, further they, the higher they fly and everything else, the uh, more superior male it would take to get to her. Huh. We have only a minute left, and this has just been so fascinating. So what does the future look like for honeybees? And by the way, I was talking about getting stung by yellow jackets earlier, and you corrected me that the yellow jacket is not a bee. That's right. It's a um, wasp <laughs> So in about 30 seconds, what do you see for the future? Uh, I think it's it's good. I mean, uh, maybe I'm too much of a dumb Dutchman. I, I'm going to thrive to do my better and best next year versus this year. And I, I think it looks good. I mean, you have to be intelligent enough to know where to place your bees to be a good beekeeper. Gary Carnes is the president of the Capital Area Beekeepers Association. I think we have some beekeeping royalty here today with eight generations and the ninth on the way. Gary, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Scott.